You're listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Chris Burns. Good morning, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Fort Coburn, Wingfleet, Welland and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. This morning, Chris Burns, owner of 105.1 The River and 101.4 FM, joins me as co-host. Good morning, Chris. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thanks, Dolores. It's Friday, and we've made it through another week. You bet. Fabulous on Friday. I love it. I, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Small Business Enterprise uh, Center, City of Niagara Falls. are great supporters of our chamber and of our local business community as well. Chris, this morning, we're going to discuss the major post-pandemic shifts in the changing employer-employee relationship. There's lots of stress amongst our business owners over changing expectations. We have a great panel joining us for the conversation, so let's get right to it. Chris, who do we have joining us this morning? Well, Dolores, this morning, uh, we welcome uh, Vivian Kennard, who's the CEO of Niagara Workforce Planning. Good morning, uh, Vivian, and uh, John Cannon, Human Resource Manager of On Demand Staffing. Good morning. Uh, morning, Dave. And, uh, and, also, um, and also, I'm sorry, that was John, and also Dave uh, Bukanogi, who's a Professor of Organizational Behavior and Human Resource Management at Brock University. Good morning, Dave. That's a mouthful, right? Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name. So, Vivian, let's start with you. Uh, do you have any data on Niagara's business is and uh, and how many have actually implemented the return to office mandates? Yep, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks again for uh, welcoming us to this uh, podcast. Um, to cut to the chase, we don't have any uh, immediate data on how many businesses have, have, have enacted a return to office mandate, but I can give some context in general on businesses across Niagara. So if you look, um, you know, latest business counts show we've got about 13 and a half thousand businesses in Niagara that have employees, that have employees, and that's important. So there's a lot of um, solo businesses as well, but there's about 13 and a half that have employees. And we reckon that about 35% of the jobs um, that are done in those businesses could be done remotely, could be done from home, right? So. Uh, uh, about 32% of businesses are in sectors that have jobs um, that can easily be done by ho- from home. And, you know, these jobs were being done by home in 2018 at about a rate of 4% of employees. And then, of course, the pandemic shot that right up. Mm-hmm. So we know from labor force data, um, you know, that between the beginning of the pandemic and um, 2021, the middle of 2021, over a quarter, um, 27, about 27% of employees in, you know, kind of the Hamilton, Niagara area, which is where we can, can distill the data down to, were working from home. Um, and these were not, these were, you know, jobs that being done, not, uh, not in areas that have been closed down and shut down, but due to the lockdown, they could continue the work they were doing. Um, but w- within the broader context of, of the Canadian uh, data that's available too, you know, up to about, you know, closer to over 35% of those jobs could have been done from home. So there's an indication that in Niagara, in our area, you know, up to 
10% of people that could have been working from home weren't, they were still working in the office. So when we talk about a return to office, when we talk about um, return to office mandates, you know, we're, we're talking about about a third of jobs in Niagara that are facing this, a third of businesses in Niagara that are facing this. So I think it, you know, it provides some context for the conversation today, Dolores, because also, you know, yeah, the return to office mandate is important, but there's a lot, much wider um, issues at play within the labor market right now in the post-pandemic situation. Yeah, and that's, uh, thanks for that, because that does put some, some, some clearer perspective around this. Um, so, you know, we, we had a little bit of a conversation going just before we, we went live. And John, you made some really good points about the fact that we've had, we, we were really experiencing a labor shortage long before the pandemic. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Because this is not, it's not new. We're, we're having a lot of conversation around it right now. And I can tell you, you know, last night we hosted an, an event and just about everybody I talked to uh, touched on their labor challenges, but, but this is not, not new. Absolutely. We have been dealing in North America as a whole in Niagara over the last decade or so with a labor shortage that has affected specific industries. Uh, Niagara is very dependent on uh, certain industries, manufacturing being one of them. And there are certain skilled trades in manufacturing that employers in Niagara have been uh, concerns with when it comes to their labor, not exclusively due to labor shortages, but because of the age of the workforce and uh, retirement. And now with the pandemic, a lot of that retirement happened a lot quicker. So we're seeing a lot of that. But as Vivian mentioned earlier, uh, now there's other industries that didn't have a labor shortage or didn't experience that in the past that are experiencing it. And the pandemic really provided for a shift in the way that employees looked at their careers uh, the options that they had available and the decisions that they had to make. And now we had industries that were not dealing with labor shortages in the past that had to close for a very long period of time and lost a lot of those employees. And those employees have seen other ways uh, to make an income, uh, has seen other opportunities. And coupled with the uh, new training programs that the government of Ontario is offering, now there's other opportunity for upskilling, for better jobs for better wages uh and they're not looking to return to those low-paying jobs yeah we're, we're seeing a lot of that and and um you know dave maybe i'll turn it over to you um so we we, we had industries where it's basically shut down they were were jobs that couldn't be done from home couldn't be done in person because of the pandemic those folks found other work and some of these industries now are really left hanging right and, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with shifts and, and the type of work it was. Um, those jobs still need to be filled, but, but you know, wh what do we do? There are a couple of things here, right? As, as John was mentioning, and then what we're seeing now is that through this process of acceleration due to the pandemic, we've seen that great resignation, we call it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like... We have evolved into a, a system where businesses have to become smarter in the sense that they have to use person-centered data, I would say. They have to make decisions in functions of personal needs of employees. Because the thing is here, if you think about it as an organization, you can get frustrated about the fact 
that there's a labor shortage, etc. But at the same time, I have to think in terms of how can I remain competitive, you know, and you have to become more attractive, not only locally, but the thing is, if you think about Canada in the broader world, the thing is, how do you attract that talent? How do you retain that talent? And I think that if you adopt a more anthropocene approach, meaning that you're focusing on human concerns when you're doing job design, then you create more flexibility for people to join your company. So it's a matter of making sure that you attract the right people, the right talent, right? So I think it's just a matter of, of changing that mindset in businesses that we have to focus on the talent that is out there, attract them through new innovative strategies. And there are many ways to do that, of course. So that makes a lot of sense. But in some cases, um, so I'll give you an example. We're doing some home renovations. And so we've got some ceramic tile throughout the house that I just, I want it gone and I want it replaced. So we've gone to a couple of different places and um, a couple of places have said to us, yes, we, we can get you the tile, pick what you want. We'll, you know, come out, measure, give you a quote, but we don't install. And we were like, well, what do you mean you don't install? We don't, we don't have, we don't have any people who can install it. We don't have, so, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, well, what good <laughs> is the tile <laughs> if we don't have no one who can install it? And I think, you know, we get back to the trades, right? Like, are we just not, you know, are those jobs just not um, interesting enough? Or like, you know, that's, that's a whole skill set that, that we don't have anymore, but there certainly is a demand. And how do we, how do we, you know, uh, um, work with that? I mean, you, you you can only be so flexible in a situation like that. This is this is the job. These are the clients. This is when the jobs need to be done. So I, I don't know how much flexibility you know you can you can offer to a position like that. I think that for that specific example, uh, we are in an environment that was created by the pandemic, where household spending was increased. New construction has increased. So the, the skill was there. Employers, uh, training institutions were not prepared for that demand increase for those specific skills. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what the, what the growth in household spending has been over the last couple of years, but it has been significant. And a lot of it has gone into uh, home renovation because of the real estate market and the potential there. In addition to that in Niagara or across North America, we're dealing with uh, issues with housing and affordability yeah. and lack of housing. So there's new construction. A lot of those trades are going into that because it's more lucrative, uh, because it's more consistent, because it offers employees certain opportunities that they didn't have before when they worked in those trades, that gig type of work that they have uh, in uh, renovation construction is not as attractive as consistent work with a construction firm that has a project for 100 houses in South Niagara. Yeah, can I just, yeah, I would I would agree with what John's saying there too. And I think it, it links back to the earlier comments that were made about, you know, especially in the trades and in that example that you gave us there, Dolores, um, that was a problem before the pandemic, right? And then, so you lay on top of that, 
um, you know, an aging out workforce in, in those types of skilled trades. We know from the even the, the demographic data that a lot of people took retirement uh, when mm -hmm. they when they when the when COVID in, in across all sectors. Um, and but when you think of uh, as John is saying, the, the huge surge in demand for home renos for building. You know, where, where people turned their dollars that they were spending on going out to eat or taking holidays or whatever they were doing with their with their disposable income is that, well, we're staying at home. Let's make home as nice as it can be. So you you would have in the best of the of, of situations had a um, a disconnect in the supply of demand and labor uh, in that context. But then add on top of that, that we were already in a shortage. Right. So I think from what I can see, it, I don't think there's a quick fix, right? But from what we were seeing that's going on across the province, there is a focused attention right now um, and a lot of investment being put into training in the skilled trades, um, especially construction. We've seen a lot of announcements even here in Niagara on Ministry of Labor training and skills development investments. And the interesting thing about that too, from a training perspective is that there is new thinking about um, different types of training, who can do the training, um, how, how quickly people can be trained. Um, and that's not to say um, that uh, there's certain trades that take a long time to learn, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that but there's other aspects um, of work that, that could maybe help solve some of the labor uh, shortages and, and the pressures we've got by quickly um, training people up in the, in the more junior positions in, in some of those trades, you know? So there is attention being paid to it. It's just how quickly the whole system can move um, in order to meet the, the, the new demands and the demands of business. Back to your example too, you know, that, that tiling company, you know, maybe needs to think about, well, I don't know if they in the past had tradespeople attached to them to do the installation. Um, but for them, it may just be, they're gonna to have to double down on, on uh, trying to focus on that aspects of their business rather than the sales of the, um, of the, of the, the, the ceramic tiles or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is or flooring that they do. I mean, and not just let it go because there's, um, there's, no, there's no tradespeople available because in the end, people will maybe make decisions about where to purchase, right? Oh, it's so true. I mean. <laughs> the ceramic tile is of no use to us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. uh, uh, my, my, my husband is a wonderful man, but a handyman he is not. So <laughs> that's that's not going to happen. Yeah. John, I wanted to add that there's also been a disconnect on whose responsibility it is to provide that skill enhancement within the labor force. Uh, companies, especially small business have always, uh, not always, but the majority of the time historically given that responsibility uh, to government, to education institutions, and they're the ones that have the real needs. Um, more so now than before, I see a lot of employers engaging in the development of the skills within their own workforce. Uh, that has affected other uh, industries because now they're taking uh, employees from low wage jobs, and getting them trained into uh, apprenticeships, high school jobs, giving a path for a better career. So there's we're competing for employees 
with everyone now. I'm not only competing with employees within my own industry, I'm competing, I'm competing with employees within other industries. Also, if I'm a skilled laborer, I have a lot of skills that I've developed. I also have the opportunities to go into other areas, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's management. So we need to engage more our employers and our organizations to participate not only in helping develop or communicate the needs, but also providing the training. That's a great point. So do you think we'll eventually get back to a pre-pandemic workplace environment and schedule? And, and, and if you think that is the case, how long is it going to take? So that would be for those that um, were able to work from home, right? Like who, who are, because it does seem that em- employees are now in control, right? And I think that's what's so frustrating to those, those businesses who are in that situation Like this was the job before the pandemic, a situation happened, but now we need you back. And those those expectations um, from the employee have changed. Yeah. And and so that's a great question, Chris. Like, will will we get back to, you know, what's the future look like, Dave? What do you think? At this point, I mean, there's not that much data yet available to make those forecasts, but th- th- there's some research out there. And actually, I recently read uh, one study in Journal of Applied Psychology. And what they actually did was they looked at Twitter. Okay, so they just analyzed tweets of over 100 million people worldwide, and they were looking at how people were looking at remote work and how the future would look once the pandemic finishes. And the general sentiment was that the idea of the 40-hour work week, this is something that will disappear because when you look at how people think about it, and you have to look at it from this perspective, from the perspective of the employee, as you said, the power has been shifted towards the employee, right? And some major recruiters are actually pointing out when people are looking for a job, a big deal breaker nowadays is that remote work part. Because from that survey, it turns out that about 45% of the people uh, who are doing this survey, it turned out that about 25% of them actually wanted to stay fully remote and about 20% wanted to have remote work about three days per week. And this is a major deal breaker because in addition to that, when they were said, if there would be a mandate to come back to work, uh, how would you respond to that? And actually half of, of those people actually indicated that they would be willing to leave the job or just look, yeah, I mean, that, that's already an indication, I guess, that if you want to retain talent in a time where yeah, the supply of, of people is already very limited. I think this is something to be very cautious about as an organization and think in terms of, can we think about more comprehensive work weeks, more flexible work arrangements? Because work-life balance has become more important than ever before for people. And the thing about it is, I mean, I understand the employer as well because they're concerned about productivity, right? But if, if you look at it, like at, at, at the average numbers, we have to be careful with average averages, right? Because the thing is that if you throw everything 
uh, into a big pool, add up the numbers, averages don't always tell like the perfect truth, you know, because you can have outliers, etc. But but the bottom line is, if, if, if you think about this, if you have this situation where people are, are, are going to quit their job and you, you don't have actually a plan in place to, to retain them in the future, you might go out of business, right? Yeah. So you have to become more smarter as an organization. That's to the point that I was making earlier. You have to think about more innovative ways of job design because the old way of structuring jobs, well, for certain businesses, that is way behind us, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So, Well, that, that really concerns me. And Vivian, I want you to jump in on this too and, and mm -hmm. use well, John. Um, it, that really concerns me because as, as we're talking to our businesses, we're finding that some of our, some of our, our business owners are, are kind of old school and they want people back in the office. And that's, yeah. that's the way it is. And, you, you know, when you start to have the conversation about, well, you know, how was, what was productivity like, you know, could you have a hybrid? Um, you know, the response is, Maybe, but I don't care. You know, like I, I really want them back in the office the way we were doing business before. And I worry about those companies because they will lose employees. Yes. And, you know, we, we really can see how there will be some businesses who, you know, <laughs> survive the pandemic, but will not survive this labor shortage. And that's, that's terrifying. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one-stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Vivian. I know. I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Dolores. And just to build on what what Dave was saying there too, you know, there's there's there is a bit of uh, material coming out in their consultancy reports, various surveys done by Canadian wide business organizations, and they're they're saying exactly what you're saying. The companies that um, yes, they may may really would love it if the office could go back to the way it was in February of 2020. But the reality on the ground is that isn't going to happen. So, you know, to answer your earlier question, no, I don't think there will be. I, I think the world, the work and what it looks like has changed going forward. It, we won't get back to, there is a new normal coming. We're still working our way through that. But I think, you know, and to some of Dave point, Dave's points, it is about um, asking the questions of, well, but I want everybody back in the office. It's why, why do you want everybody back in the office? So um, what happened, Who who's doing well, you know, working from home? D did their performance slip? Um, did you not meet your objectives as a business? Um, yes, a lot of the feedback that business owners give is, yeah, but I need my team together. I need my team to, you know, collect around the water cooler, so to speak, you know, but there is other ways of, 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 of bringing people together, both remotely. Um, and these are all the kind of human resource challenges that, 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 that businesses will have. And the ones that get it will be the ones that are able to attract and retain talent. And the ones that don't, won't. 
And that it, it's as kind of as blunt as that at the moment. Um, and we're seeing it anecdotally, not necessarily seeing it in the data. Although I was reading a survey the other day that, that, that there's not a lot of research on what employers are thinking. There's a lot on what employees are thinking. Mm -hmm. There's not very much yet emerged on what employers are thinking. But one thing I was looking at did point out that um, whereas 90% of employees, 90% in this survey said, yeah, I want some kind of hybridized work environment. I, I don't mind coming to the office, but I'm not coming in five days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, uh, but only 60% of managers are saying, yeah, I can handle a hybridized work environment. So you've got this gap. You've got this gap in, in understanding between what employees are wanting. And I think our job is to kind of try and help support businesses to close that now, mm -hmm. right? So what can we do? Um, when you look across Niagara, you know, 70% of businesses um, are, you know, have 10 employees or less, right? So really small businesses. So I can understand the challenges for some of those business owners, right? Mm -hmm. Where Where's the support for some of the, the, the HR that is required in this new world? for them to thrive and maybe we can all pull together as a community to have those conversations and provide that support for sure and i think that we need to shift that conversation to what opportunities does a new work environment bring to my business because we'll continue right. talking about the issues the concerns the way of doing things in the past and we will never go back to the way of doing things in the past it may not be the way we're doing things right now but we need to really understand really what sort of the jobs of each specific person or responsibility can be done remotely, what needs to be done at the office, and redesigning the workflows, the processes to adjust to that. Uh, the opportunities that come with remote work and the ability to do hybrid work uh, are financial, are access to new talent. They have given opportunity for other people that couldn't enter the workforce to participate. We are seeing a slight increase in participation rates across North America. Uh, so there is a lot of opportunity, but we, if we want to move forward and we want to be successful as businesses, we can't think that we have to go to the way we're doing things before. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just add to that too? Uh, it's, those are great points, John. Uh, um, I think also shifting the mindset away of the opportunity um, of allowing hybrid or remote actually could expand the um the your talent pool mm -hmm. right because you don't have to live within quick commuting or even close commuting anecdotally i'm even hearing stories right now in niagara of you know people sitting in their home office in saint catherine's working for or in welland working for companies based in montreal mm -hmm. you know because they've they've been because those companies have adopted uh remote working and then they're searching for talent everywhere. So not only is our local talent pool in competition with our own local businesses, it's also in competition with Canada-wide businesses or even global businesses. So I think there's huge opportunities for businesses here in Niagara to say, okay, you know, if I'm adopting some of these, um, these different practices and, and are, wanting, are happy to embrace some kind of hybridized work environment, um, then there is an opportunity to expand and diversify the talent that is working for them too. So John, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, in the work that you do with, with your clients, um, are, they, are they open to, you know, as they're recruiting for new staff, like what are some of the things that they're maybe offering or looking at to, to entice 
um, new people to join their company. Can you so, share that? Of or? course, there's been a there's been a huge uh, move to uh, to review compensation practices, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's been the main tool that a lot of, a lot of companies have used to uh, to deal with these labor shortages. Um, also, they are expanding the networks. Uh, they're examining what can be done remotely as compared to what needs to be done uh, at the office to see what kind of talent they can access beyond the borders of Niagara. And that's very important. Now, our company mainly deals with manufacturing, uh, specialized jobs that need specialized equipment that need to be done on location. Uh, that doesn't mean that they have not been uh, untouched by the, by the pandemic. They're, they have experienced a different set of challenges and that has required companies to review uh, current policies, practices, processes, and offer more flexibility because in order to retain those employees whose family responsibilities changed, uh, whose life was turned upside down, they have to allow for certain things that they would have never thought they would in the past. We um, had a conversation with a, a fairly large employer here in Niagara um, a few weeks ago, and, and they run a 20, um, 24-7 operation. And as they're calling back employees, employees are saying, we don't want to work that shift, and we'll take a substantial pay cut not to have to work that shift. And uh, this business is, you know, we're, we're a 24-7 operation we need to have people working those shifts and it's it's not about you know paying you less it's about having people when we need them and they're they're really struggling with that and i don't know <laughs> you know i don't know in a situation like that like what, what what can what can you do you know um we haven't talked about immigration at all yeah. is is that something that we need to look at i know uh prior to the pandemic um foreign students, you know, who were at the university and the college, uh, filled a lot of the hospitality jobs. And then once they earned their uh, diplomas and degrees, they would, you know, uh, get full-time positions. But our issue back then was that other provinces had a better path to citizenship. And so we would often lose them to other provinces, you know, within the country. So any, um, any of you know what's happening with that immigration piece and can that immigration piece be part of the solution with some of the jobs that we, that we have? Um, I think you hit on a great, uh, a great point there, Dolores. On the immigration piece, absolutely. Yes. I think um, all the data show, uh, um, and there's a lot, been lots of reports about it that uh, we need to be very welcoming of of immigrants, not only for the different skill sets that they bring, educational backgrounds that they've got, um, but also um, the ability to fill some of the the, the in demand jobs that we've got. And I know that at the provincial level, at the federal level, has got um, you know immigration targets that are the largest they've had in a, a very long time. Um, and there's a lot of programs and support both provincially and, fun- and uh, federally uh, for bringing um, immigrants to parts of uh, Canada that are not in the big cities too. So, I mean, it's a huge opportunity for us in Niagara to be, uh, to welcome that diversity um, and bring, bring folks here that uh, can fill a lot of the job gaps that, that we've got. Um, so we're all working on that. And we also work with our um partners across the region in, uh, you know, immigrant settlement services, mm-hmm. uh, who would then also work with uh, employment 
services in general uh, to get folks into our um, into our into local jobs. I think there's also been even on um, uh, the federal government is even considering widening um, you know, migrant workers programs as well in order to to face some of these uh, shortages. We normally see that in the agricultural sector, but but there's there's uh, other sectors that are maybe needing to be considered here too. Not sure if that's the right way to go uh, personally, but but there's um, definitely attention being paid to uh, number one, we need we need newcomers to our communities, and number two, there's a lot of jobs for them to fill. Yeah, yeah. I, I know both Dave and, and John wanted to get in on this, so so Dave, we'll go to you, and then we'll go to you, John. The thing is that I'm an immigrant myself. I'm going to take my oath of citizenship next week. And just thinking about the process itself, I mean, the thing is that, first of all, Canada is already doing a great job when it comes down to immigration, if you compare it to many other countries worldwide. We're doing a pretty good job in attracting people because we're an attractive country in the first place. But can we do a better job? Yes, because the thing is that the waiting times for people are, I mean, processing wise and, and this is due to the pandemic as well like for some people it takes up to two years to get their citizenship processed of course they can get uh, permanent resident status in the meanwhile etc but the thing is that if you could get this done much faster you can process people much quicker you can get people faster into the country so the thing is great country great opportunities, but are we doing a good enough job at attracting international talent? I think we can do a better job at this. And I think that organization sectors have to sit together with uh, governments at different levels to actually press that matter even more, you know? It's, it, 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 it's really crucial to, to get that uh, foreign talent into the country, you know? And the thing is that if you just look at the healthcare sector, it's like nurses, doctors, etc. I mean, we're often bringing in people, and, and, and we're all familiar with this story from, from certain countries, but we don't recognize their skill set, like when it involves doctors, etc. And I've been doing research on that, like how many doctors, for example, end up being taxi drivers in Toronto, Montreal, etc. You're sitting in that uh, cab and then you hear, oh, this is someone with a PhD in, in physics or in, in medical science. And you're like, how is that possible that you're driving a taxi, you know? So I think that there's, there's a need for a quicker process of certification so that people can fit in quicker and fill these gaps, you know? So uh, definitely something that we have to work on in the future. Yeah, that's such a great point. I mean, we've all heard those stories and it's always such a head scratcher. You know, our chamber was involved with physician recruitment for years and years and years, and we still have a shortage. And, you know, when you hear about, you know, people driving cabs and they could be helping, um, you know, in our hospitals, it just makes absolutely no sense. John, I wanted to, to, to get you in on this uh, conversation as well. Uh, so I think that the federal government has very clear with their stance on immigration and that it is part of the solution to the labor shortages that we have in Canada. Uh, as an immigrant myself, I see a lot of opportunity in immigration. I actually have had the opportunity to employ multiple people with multiple backgrounds in a very successful way in meaningful jobs where they can use their skills. Uh, again, I see a disconnect within the programs that the government has in place. 
the opportunities that we have within the labor force to utilize that skill and what the employers are doing. Uh, in, in the past, I've had challenges bringing in qualified employees to different positions because of that lack of credential, because of that lack of Canadian experience. Uh, we need to do a better job communicating to those decision makers, especially at the small business level, the advantages, the benefits, and the competitive edge that immigrant or internationally trained labor can bring into organizations. Not only because we're moving into a global economy, I mean, we're already in a global economy, we participate actively in it, but we are uh, with this uh, shifts that we talked about earlier with technology, with uh, adaptation of, uh, of new tools, uh, borders are disappearing. Um, we really need to keep that in mind when we look at the opportunity that we have within the labor force. Um, and I've worked with some employers that have seen that and it's helped them with their labor challenges, but it's not the only answer either. I don't want anyone to think that their answer is immigration exclusively. I think that if we look at the main two things that we can do is develop the skill within our own companies, as well as bring in new talent from uh, different backgrounds, talent that we couldn't or that we wouldn't look at before. So I just, as you were talking, a question popped into my head. So in this new virtual world, someone could be working in Germany for a company here in Niagara, they don't have to go through the immigration process because they're not living here. So did we just remove some of those barriers because of the technology and this new world that we live in? Some companies may have the opportunity to do that, some, uh, some may not. Uh, we also need to understand that there are uh, other challenges when you're doing uh, offshore uh, situations like this, I guess, uh, that are not exclusive to talent or skill. Uh, uh, culture would be a significant challenge for a situation like that. Uh, economics will be a significant challenge for a situation like that. Because once we bring in a global economy, then uh, the labor market gets back there significantly. And we've seen that in low paying jobs that because of that have migrated to other areas. A lot of service roles have moved to uh, the Philippines, uh, have moved to India, have moved to uh, places like now Central America. Uh, I've outsourced some of uh, my IT work to South America because I have connections here in Colombia. So it is an opportunity to outsource some of those uh, responsibilities, but it comes with challenges that businesses may not, may not be ready to, uh, to deal with. Immigration, on the other hand, allows us to bring talent that not only addresses the employment challenges that we have in Canada, but also other challenges that we have. Yeah, exactly. One of the big categories uh, on our radio stations is actually running ads to help businesses find uh, employees. And we just ran a campaign for a big manufacturer in Niagara. Uh, they held an, an open house at a local hotel, and uh, I was speaking to the HR manager uh, last week, and uh, she was very happy. She actually found two or three people. Um, now, I thought two or three was kind of low, but <laughs> she said, you know, she's been looking to fill these positions for quite some time. Um, Toyota advertised with us at another market. Uh, they have a plant, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, their uh, advertising messaging is actually trying to reach uh, 
all kinds of people. They actually talk in their ad about how many languages uh, their supervisors speak. Um, and they're trying different things to try and identify what really is a very specialized skill set um, and, and are having uh, great success. So I, I guess the, the thing I wanted to ask, you know, we've got three really smart experts here. Um, you know, what are the two things you would recommend uh, small business employers do to actually attract people? And, and Vivian, can I start with you? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, I think number one would be to review um, your culture and approach to your staff engagement, um, your HR policies and procedures, um, and, and see if there's a way in which you could be, you can rethink to meet the, the, the larger uh, needs of employees. Um, and then the second point uh, would also be, it, it kind of follows the first two, is this whole point on inclusivity, what you were just talking about there, Chris, what John was, was talking about. Those are terrific points because um, em employers need to be of a mindset to be far more inclusive, um, think outside the box than, than what they used to, what they're used to doing in, in terms of, uh, of hiring um, and be, willing to be far more flexible um, and, and engage with employees in different ways. And I think there's a lot of supports um, that they could get from chamber, from the chamber um, and other organizations across the region. Okay, Dave, what are your thoughts? A couple of things. So first of all, building more diverse workplaces because if you build more diverse workplaces, you will attract new talent, right? <coughs> then uh, I would focus also on one of the points that Vivian was mentioning. Like, if you want to attract and retain people, I think that you have to focus more on communicating culture, making sure that culture becomes also part of the employee's DNA. You know, you can communicate values, etc., but people also have to like start to live those values. And I think you have to really focus on building culture, culture through attracting the right people, but also making sure that people feel connected to the organization. And that's going to be a big challenge when it's remote work, of course, but there are different ways to, to achieve that. Uh, focus more on mental well-being of your employees and family, because this is another thing that we didn't touch on so much, but I think that employees attach more and more importance to their well-being. So take care of employees and their families because we're the week of uh, mental well-being. So I think this is really an important topic that uh, HR should think about as well. Uh, embrace that flexibility. Listen to your employees in terms of the thing is some people actually do want to come back to work as well because if you have kids like three, four-year-olds and... The thing is, if you have to work from home, you might not always have your office. So the thing is, there's, there's definitely a certain group of people who want to come back. So that's what I mean by flexibility. Use data, data from your people to make your decisions and be flexible in, in using that opportunity. And also add, if you have the option, uh, try to incentivize loyalty. You know, if you want people to stay, it makes sense to actually reward loyalty, you know? So these, these are a couple of things that, that I would have in mind to attract and retain people. Before we go to John, I just, you, you said something, um, 
you know, old school is the customer's always right. You take care of the customer. You do everything to make sure that the customer is happy. But the mind shift really has to be take care of your employees, make sure your employees are happy. Um, you know, so that's a really good point that you make. And, and well, there's, there's plenty of data out there that shows that if you have an engaged, committed employee, they're willing to go that extra mile, right? Sure. And that's what you're looking for in your businesses. And if you don't have committed employees, I mean, it's very hard to make sure that they're going after that new customer, right? So, yeah. And there's other data that says if you've got a really well-engaged employees, you have happy customers. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can do to attract and retain talent. When it comes to attracting talent, we need to look at the way in which we communicate experiences rather than just jobs. And I see companies continue to invest in the communication of job opportunities rather than the actual experience of working with your company. And it goes to what Dave was talking about, about culture, about values, about leaving those. But how am I going to get people outside my organization to understand what those things are if I'm not telling them about it? And companies are starting to do that and they're learning to do it, but it's still not a common practice to talk about the stories, to talk about what it really is to work for my company beyond the job description, beyond the wage. Uh, and if, if we do that, we are going to be more successful at attracting talent. Now, when we look at retaining talent, expectations from employees have shifted. And employees want their employers to be more involved in aspects of their life beyond employment. Uh, they all want employers to participate or to be part of uh, their social safety net, uh, providing services for mental health. Mental health is very, very important, allowing for balance within their work and their life. Uh, and there are different ways to do that, like reevaluating vacation or, or absenteeism policies, like not necessarily creating an exclusively remote office or an exclusively in-place office, but having that flexibility that allows to meet different people's uh, needs and expectations. Um, there's, I could go hours talking about what we can do to attract and retain employees. That's what we do at my company on a daily basis for a variety of, uh, of clients. But when we look at the main two things, let's tell people what we are. Let's let's give people a reason to come and ask me or tell me, ask me why they would want to work with me. Yeah, you've just given me a great idea for a workshop for our members because I think, you know, a lot of them would uh, would tune in for something like that. So, John, I'll be in touch. I uh, I, I know we're running out of time, but I I, I just remembered I had read something somewhere. Um, and, and Vivian, you might have some some data on this or, or Dave, you might too, or John, you, you as well. I'd read that um, younger people in, in um, the workforce were actually more eager to be in the office than older people. And the reason they said that was because uh, older people had already an established network um, so working virtually, you could connect with people easily because you had already developed those relationships. But for young people who were just starting out in, in their careers, um, working virtually didn't provide them with the same opportunities to get connected, to meet people, to see, you know, additional opportunities within their workplace. And, um, and initially that surprised me because I thought, you know, older people might, might be 
more inclined to go back to the office because that's what they've always known and younger people might not. But but this article that I read and the stats were were the other way around. Any any input on that? Did, did I read that right? Did anybody else see that? Um, from my perspective, I think, um, I, I don't know if I saw exactly the, the same uh, uh, survey or report that you were you're referencing there, Dolores, but I, I think, um, yes, that could be the case, but I think there's there's similar research and surveys coming out that show the tell a different story as well. So I think in general, it's back to kind of Dave and John's points about it, it needs to be human centered. It, it is around um, uh, what particular employees in any particular organization where they're at. And it could be, you know, Yes, the, the person with the, the two-year-old at home can't wait to be in the office because that's the only time they get the space to be productive. Um, and that's great. Um, but be, making it human-centered, and I would say, because there's a lot of research uh, around youth and their expectations, or younger employees <clears throat> and their expectations, and it will come back to what John and Dave have been talking about. Um, it, they may want to be in the office, but only in uh, an organization that values them Mm. that they align with, with, with respect to their culture um, um, and, and which it shares um, and attracts them to want to not only work with them, but stay with them. They won't stay in an office that they don't find that alignment with. And all the research um, is showing that. Mm. Um, and, it, and with the labor market um, the way it is right now, yeah, um, the younger generation too are, uh, for a long time now, the stats have shown that they find it quite easy to move from one organization to the other. It's just mm. the way it's just the way they operate. They find it no, no problem at all, uh, unlike the older generation. So I think there's probably a grain of truth in what you read there, Dolores, but I don't think it's as a straightforward a story. And I would always come back to um, what Dave and John were so eloquently talking about, which is that the culture of the workplace, the value um, um, that employees have and how, how they're valued will, will be the sticking point. I would also like to add that we're only talking about 30% of jobs that can be done remotely right. in North America. So right. we still need to have uh, the majority of our workforce in place somewhere to support right. different operations. Now, of course, it doesn't apply to other organizations and businesses can completely work remotely and they are doing that. Uh, so businesses that could work remotely are not doing that and they're being successful. So yeah. there are different aspects to keep in mind. We need to understand that there isn't a solution that will fit every business regardless of who they are. What we need to understand is that there needs to be flexibility, but we cannot neglect the conversation about the 70% of employees that need to be in place and the accommodations that they need and the flexibility that they need for our companies to be successful in this uh in this current employment market. Well, Vivian, Dave, and John, uh, this was incredible. Thank you so much. Some great insights here this morning. Um, thank you very much for being part of the podcast. Thank you. Dolores, um, what's planned for next week? Well, next week, uh, we're kind of going to keep this conversation going. We're going to take a look at the trades. We're going to discuss why we have such a shortage and, and what we need to do right now to ensure a healthy trades workforce moving forward. Uh, joining us for the conversation will be Marco Magazzini and uh, Anthony Corzato from the Niagara Catholic District School Board. They're doing some great work around this. And Rich uh, DiPietro from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. 
To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful day.